Here we go. Guys, we're back. Hello. It is now November, and I'm thankful to be back. I needed a little breather last week, so we took one, and now I'm here to share a pretty brutal, and I'm not sure if it's well-known, but it might be well-known. It's just of a different continent slash country, so maybe not so well-known. Anyway, I'm very excited, and um, I'm going to tell Daniela and you all about the first Australian woman to be sentenced to life in prison without parole. Ooh. Pretty intense. It'll have you um, singing, Australian woman, stay away from me. Look at you singing. Ew, I can't wait till I edit that out. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the woman we are talking about is named Catherine Mary Knight. Catherine Knight is from Australia, like I mentioned, and she was born in Tenderfield, South Wales, Australia on October 24th, 1955. Uh, she was actually a twin, the younger twin by like an hour to her sister Joy, and her mother had already had six other boys. Well, I think five other boys, and then the youngest boy came after she and her sister. So technically, the, her mom has uh, seven kids with the two twins added in 1955. Her parents are Barbara and Ken Knight, and they had to relocate on account of a scandal that her mother uh, took part in, somewhat of a scandal. I guess you can say because of where they lived and how well-known their families were, it was a scandal. But Barbara actually um, had an affair with Ken, so that's why they had to relocate whenever they became a little family. Oh, shit. Their hometown was Aberdeen in South Wales, Hunter Valley, and they had to move to Maury before she and her twin were born. Uh, Barbara Roughhand, which... I think it's rough hand. It's like, it's like Rohan, I guess. R-O-U-G-H-A-N. Rohan. Uh, that's what I'm going to say anyway. <laughs> she, Barbara, Barb's, and uh, Ken started their affair at the same, at the time. Okay, hold up. Barb's had started an affair with Ken at the time that Jack, her husband at the time, worked with him. And the town was... Ken and Jack Rowan were working together, and the town was rural and conservative. The two families were well-known, as I mentioned, and her two older children had stayed with their father, Jack, while the two youngest moved to an aunt's home in Sydney whenever they relocated. When Jack died unexpectedly, I think, in 1959, they came to live with their mother and new family, so then everybody was all together again, except for the two that lived with their aunt. During this time, there was a considerable amount of racism, so Barbara's grandmother, being an indigenous Australian, was kept secret, and um, it's said that that brought some tension within, like, the children's, like, ages because they didn't really understand. Growing up, Catherine was close with her twin, Joy, but also with her uncle, Oscar Knight, and sadly, he committed suicide in 1969, Uh, so she was really young whenever that happened. Uh, The family moved back to Aberdeen that same year, and Ken was an alcoholic and would openly abuse Barbara, using intimidation and violence to rape her up to 10 times a day. Oh, my God. 
just openly in front of the kids. They would just see him be violent. So um, kids raping Barbie. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I didn't can you believe I didn't notice that their names were Barbara and Ken yeah. until you until you I just mentioned I was waiting for it. Oh no, that is not the fantasy <clears throat> uh Barbie dream house I would be <laughs> wanting to be living in. Um I'll go ahead and mention now cuz I found that out after the fact, but um he worked at what they called an abattoir which is basically a slaughterhouse in Australia. And so he, uh, you'll see why that comes in handy or why that makes sense later, but he's working there and he's an alcoholic and he comes home and beats on his wife and in front of the kids and whatever. So on top of them, like witnessing that the kids were also kind of traumatized because Barbara would overshare details um, with her daughters, like on her sex life and like intimate details and stuff, and that she hated men. Oh, so okay. that like, became a really cemented note in their heads. Mm-hmm. Her mother advised Catherine to put up with it and stop complaining when Catherine told her about a partner who pressured her to participate in a sex act that she didn't want to do. Oh my I believe she was like 15, 15 or 16 whenever she told her mom about it. And that's what her mom's advice was, was put up with it and stop complaining. That's so fucked up. I know. So Catherine was sexually abused by several family members who confirmed the allegations. And her father was not one of her abusers, just to get that out of the way. But I'm assuming um, others, like maybe cousins, uncles, that kind of thing. And it happened until she was 11. Details on that, not so sure. But, um, oh, I'll go ahead and say my sources are Murderpedia and the last podcast on the left. So it happened until she was 11, and um, she was apparently a normal enough girl. However, she would have bouts of rage and would often get physical with her agitators, even if it was like a minor problem that um, caused her to get upset. She would make good grades and often earned awards for her good behavior, according to some writings. But yeah, she just was very quick to get upset and get physical with people. She was a student of Muswell Brook High School and was a bully and a loner. Um, So I guess by the time she got into high school, she was assaulting kids that were smaller than her and pushing them around. She assaulted a boy with a weapon and was even injured in self-defense by a teacher. So she, like, I think she slapped a teacher or, like, hit a teacher and they had to, like, hit her back to, like, calm the situation. Or, like, not hit her back, but I guess whenever they pushed her or whatever, she got hurt. And so it was, like, a thing that people talked about. Mm -hmm. She didn't finish school, but she became a cutter at a clothing factory at age 15. And a year later, she worked at a local slaughterhouse, just like her father did she was quickly promoted and given her own set of butcher knives which she hung over her bed um should she ever need them she admired them a lot like she really loved her set of knives it was almost like her little token like her little trophy set i don't know how to explain it like she earned them and she just really admired like that line of work ever since she was younger and she worked at the same place that her dad worked i think they she and her sister and her little brother would help debone the carcasses when they were younger. And oh, so okay. then she just like stepped right in there whenever it was her time to get an actual job. She found her place in the slaughterhouse. It takes a specific kind of person to even tolerate the conditions, like not to sound like a vegan activist or anything, but you have to be able to like stomach everything that's going on, like the sounds and like all mm-hmm. the blood and the smells. smells. Oh God. Yeah. 
so that being said, she loved it. Like everybody saw how much she loved it. So that was kind of like strange. She enjoyed the pig room and where they were put down. She enjoyed watching them get uh, killed. Interesting. Yeah. And in 1973, she met the man who she would marry, the first man she would marry anyway. Um, And a lot of these were common law marriages, but I think this one was like an actual wedding marriage type thing. Um, So David Stanford Kellett, was a hard-drinking co-worker that Catherine got along with, and whenever he would get into scuffles, she would have his back. He was um, smaller than her, too, so it was funny. I think she's like six foot one. I don't remember what how much she weighed or anything like that, but she was a tall lady, and she was kind of like well-built. And so he was kind of small for being a man, and so it was kind of like a strange little pair that they made. Mm-hmm. And she definitely enjoyed like dominating him. She was also a horny-ass bitch. Um, Or as they say in Australia, she loved to root, a.k.a. she loved to fuck. She could go up to 10 times a day. um, And they got married in 1974 with the couple arriving on her motorcycle with him (laughs) hanging on the back. And he was already fucked up. (laughs) So that was a sight. Um, And so upon arrival, Barbara, which, you know, is Catherine's mom, pulled Mm. him aside and said, the old girl said to me, to watch, I guess this is like a quote that he's talking about now. He's she that she said for him to watch. You better watch this one, or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way, or, or do the wrong thing, and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her. She'll fucking kill you. And so that's what Barbara's warning was to um, kill it. She told him that Catherine has something loose, like a screw loose somewhere. On their wedding night, poor David could only give it to her like three times. So she tried to um, (laughs) kill him on day one. Kill him? Yeah, she tried to strangle him because he fell asleep after three rounds of sex. Oh, my God. Apparently, she had remembered that her parents had five rounds of sex before they went to bed on their wedding night. And so she was like, I got to beat the the record. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's so weird to like try to make fun of it like this, but it's like. What the fuck, man? Like, she tried to strangle him, like, legit. And it was a rumor, so, like, all the town knew that she tried to do that. Wow, that's really embarrassing. That's embarrassing. I know, it's sad. So she acted really bitter that he didn't go more than three rounds. But he did his best to hide the abuse because since he was a man and it was, like, the 70s, and it was Australia, I'm pretty sure their culture has some kind of, like, machismo version also. Yeah, that's sad. I know. Uh, over sex too. Like, what the fuck? I would be like, go to go the fuck to sleep. I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> she was becoming more and more violent at work, and she was now putting animals down herself. However, she would do it extremely inhumanely, like <gasps> nicking ar- arteries just to watch the animals bleed out. Oh my god! I know, awful. And I mean, they probably see her, and they're just like, well, I guess she, that's just her like that's what she does i guess and uh she was very abusive uh once hitting him in the back of the head with a frying pan um whenever he was late from getting to get home he was actually at a dart competition and had made it into the finals but because he was late she was like pissed off and she like hit him with the frying pan he ran away in fear that she might kill him and he passed out at a neighbor's house um, he was treated for a fractured skull. Holy shit. Um, but she was able to talk him out of pressing charges. Nevertheless, the police had had their eye on her because they wanted to press charges. But because she, like, sweet-talked him or whatever, 
which it's sad, you know, with um, with a lot of domestic cases, they just can't seem to retaliate against their abuser most of the time. They just feel like, okay, they're being sweet. Uh, I'm going to just, you know, yeah. not. So he did not press charges and she didn't get in trouble at all. And in May of 1976, um, her man's moved on. She, I think, was pregnant or had just had a baby. I'm forgetting the timeline of this whole thing, but he like snuck off with some other lady. Oh, shit. Like quietly because he did not want her to kill him, which I, I'm sure, I don't know, like they're they're having a baby or whatever, but oh my gosh, he just like snuck off um, to Queensland with his new woman and she was very upset about that. She was violent and possessive, um, so he got the hell out. Good for him. Sadly, though, since she had just had their child, Melissa, uh, Melissa Ann, uh, she was very just unhinged at the wrong time. She must have been more unstable than ever because she was seen swinging her stroller. Um, they call it a pram. Yeah. Uh, it's like a little carriage. She was seeing, like, seen swinging the stroller violently back and forth down the street. And the final straw was her allegedly swinging baby Melissa by her ankles on one occasion. Oh, my God. Yikes. Yeah. So and then she made verbal threats using one of her boning knives that she was that she was saying she was going to hurt Melissa. So she was admitted to the St. Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth. And all they did was all they did was diagnose her with um, postnatal depression. And she spent several weeks recovering, uh, which I guess they might have just medicated her because I don't think she got rehabilitated. So I'm trying really hard here because remember she was abused as a child and like she's probably held on to trauma and stuff, but she mm-hmm. had the opportunity to get help right then when they brought her in. So we just have to keep going with the story and you'll see where I'm getting. So she was released uh, and she took her two-year-old to her two-month-old daughter on a railway line shortly before the coal train was coming through. Um, she put the little girl, the little baby on the, the train tracks. <gasps> what? And- waiting for the train yeah but wait so then after she puts the baby on the train tracks she steals an axe and she headed to town threatening to kill a bunch of people and she was like swinging it around walking down the street everybody was inside with their curtains drawn but they were like peeking out and watching her walk around town swinging the axe knight was arrested and again taken to the hospital she was able to sign herself out though the next day because she was technically still a recovered patient since she had just come out of there so the train was on its way, but nearby was a man that they called Old Ted. And luckily he had been foraging um, when he found the baby and he saved her. Oh, good. I was about to say, what the fuck happened to her? I imagine he, if he had been foraging elsewhere. Dear God. I like that foraging. I know. That's, foraging. That's, the sto- that's the main talk of this story is that he was foraging. Um, <laughs> old Ted. I w- I'm wondering who Old Ted was. But anyway, so... Anyway, a few days later, she assaulted a woman so that she would drive her to Queensland. So she was threatening this woman that she knew with a knife, and she had the knife up to her face and was like, take me to my husband. He's in Queensland. I need to get to him. And the lady was, of course, like freaked out, and she got like a huge gash on her face. And um, she slashed the woman's face with one of her special like little butcher knives and I pictured her having a knife on her thigh like an e-girl but like it's not that like she's an Australian she's a bad bitch like with her big butcher knife anyway so the woman had to listen and like 
pretend to like start driving her, but then she pulled over at a service station and like ran inside. And by the time the police got there at that point, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Cause here's where I'm confused. I don't know if she specifically told her to go to that service station, but the story goes that there was this mechanic named Hoppy who had only one leg. Oh my God. They gave him, Hey, listen, they gave him this name. I didn't guys don't come for me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm simply the messenger. He had one leg and he was in his little service station and she was pissed off because he's the one that fixed her man's car to get the fuck out of there. Of Can course. you believe this? Shit? Mm-hmm. She's going full like <laughs> she's going full revenge mode like everybody yeah. who's involved is going down. <laughs> so she goes in there and there's a little boy in there and she grabs him by the shirt and she still has her knife in her hand. So like everybody's freaking out like she's going to do something. Um, but luckily with brooms in hand the police were able to like disarm her from the from the knife and get her away from the kid and stuff um weird with like brooms keeping her like far away from them like a like a wild dog or something um so now she's even more pissed off because she didn't get anywhere with what she was trying to do but funny enough well it's not really that funny but she got taken in and the police, I don't know if the police informed him or he just got wind of what happened, but um, her man's heard what happened and he came running back. Are you fucking serious? After all that. And yeah. So she was taken to the Morissette psychiatric hospital this time. And she confessed to the nurses that her plans were to kill the service station mechanic because he fixed Kellett's car. And then once she got to Queensland, she planned on killing Kellett and his mother. I don't know where, why she wants his mother too but she threw that shade in there too i guess um but get this so the police told kellett what might have happened and so he what does he fucking do he comes back he leaves his new girlfriend which i think he got her pregnant too to be honest and then ran back to um catherine and he took his damn mother with him so that they could both care for her when she got released okay what the fuck i would not (laughs) want I know. Poor old lady. She's just taking her right into the volcano. Right? Oh my gosh. She's like, I don't want to be dealing with this shit in my senior years. Um, So she had another chance to get well, but um, she didn't take it. And here's the thing. So like when you think of other serial killers and like all the trauma that they've had and stuff, they didn't have as many opportunities to get well and to fix like to make sure that they didn't do anything that they would regret or anything. Mm-hmm. But um, she didn't learn how to handle her violent outbursts, whether they were due to some kind of anger management issue or a mental illness or something. She didn't fix any of that. And she wasn't born into the best situation, but both nature and nurture allowed her to become a cold-hearted killer in the end. So back to the story. She was released on August 9th, 1976, into the care of Kellett and his mother, how awkward. Um, anyway, they all lived in Woodridge, which was a suburb of Brisbane. She got a job in a town nearby, Ipswich, um, at the Dinmore Meatworks. She was still working that meat on Kellett, though, too, I'm guessing, because on March 6, 1980, Natasha Marie was born. Oh, shit. Yeah, she was grinding that meat all right. <laughs> in 1984, she left Kellett and moved to her parents in Aberdeen and then to a rented house in Muswellbrook. Let me tell you, Kellett was the happiest man on earth that day. <laughs> he was just waiting for her to, to make the choice. Um, 
So she returned to work at the slaughterhouse, but went on disability pension after injuring her back. The government gave her a housing commission house in Aberdeen at this time. So in 1986, she met a miner named David Saunders, and he moved in with her after a few months. He kept his apartment, though, and um, with her intense jealous issues, he would come and go often to Catherine's wishes. Her mother passed away, which brought a new wave of uh, anger and abuse for Catherine. In order to drill into David Saunders that she held the power in the relationship, during a fight, she slit the throat of David's dingo puppy. No! Dude, yeah, they were fighting. It was getting really intense. They were in the kitchen. She took one of her knives and went outside. And Saunders thought it was over and he was taking a a breath. And then he remembered his puppy was outside and he went out there and she was covered in blood holding his puppy and was like, Oh my God. What's going to happen if you keep fucking around? Yeah, it was really sad. That is Uh, so sad, dude. That made me really sad. Surprisingly, she had never done anything with any other animals, um, according to what I read, but that was the one time that she killed an animal that was outside of work. Besides the one at work, yeah. The ones Mm -hmm. at work. So he ran to a friend's house, um, and her way of handling it was going to her sister's house with her shotgun and telling everyone that she shot David dead, only to take it all back and be like, just kidding, I didn't kill him. The fuck? She probably just really wanted to. She was, like, pretending that it was real. She did, I think, hit him with an iron that night, though, too, which kind of, like, burned the side of his head. Ooh. I'm pretty sure that was the night. I get confused because she has several men that she abused throughout her life. But anyway, so in June 1988, her third daughter was born, um, and he put a deposit on a small house. And when she got her compensation, when it came through, she paid it off in 1989. So they had their little house that she um, won Best Interior Design Award for covering it in dead animal skins what and bones. Fuck? No, she didn't. I just made that up. She I was about to sure. say what. I'm so confused. <laughs> what is happening? She didn't win that. She, it was a joke. It was she, <laughs> she decorated her, her way, but it was not it. So her house is covered in dead animals, and her kids are just like, okay, this is how it's going to go. The abuse continues, sadly, and escalates to the point of her stabbing him in the stomach with scissors after hitting him in the face with an iron. That's the uh, that's the time that she hits him Jesus with an iron. Christ. And I think it was still hot, too. It's messed up. Um, so, and it's to the point where he's going into work with his coworkers making bets on what injuries he would show up with. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> Isn't that so fucked? And he has to just play it up play it off like ha ah, yeah man i mean she's crazy but she's you know wild in the sack you know i mean yep, what can i say probably the exact <laughs> conversation <laughs> what else is a guy gonna say like okay i'm not gonna give up that good you know sex for her knocking me around i'm a man i can handle it i, I can just imagine i don't even know yeah. i don't even know what i would say if i was one of the guys around him like oh damn anyway so Here's another fucked up thing. She had told the police that she was afraid of him. And so they issued her an apprehended violence order or an AVO against him. And so when he and he found that out when he went to try to see his daughter after he left her. Mm-mm. He found out like he can't come around because she's afraid of him and there's an AVO on him that he can't come visit and stuff. So that was sad. Yeah. So now we move on to John Chillingworth. 
he was a fun guy and they liked to bang and he thought he couldn't have children. So naturally, Catherine was pregnant within weeks of messing around with him. What? The year was 1990. Yeah, dude. She's on like kid number four, I think. Mm-hmm. With this guy. So he was a former slaughterhouse worker. He was 43. And the next year, Eric was born. And from Murderpedia, that's all they wrote because she was on to the next before their relationship was even over. They had a three-year relationship, but she was already having an affair with John Price. (sighs) I'm telling you, she's wild. Yeah, dude. And on last podcast on the left, there was more uh, on the kind of abuse that he sustained, which, by the way, I love that show. That was the first podcast that I started listening to ever like before i started listening to podcasts it was really it's really good so shout out to oscar and jacob for showing me that that's a good show good podcast they would fight and john admits to hitting her back or defending himself but her kids who also watched the abuse and were also brutally beaten would stick up for their mom and say that she was the victim holy shit so if like police would come around or i'm assuming police or anyone for that matter if they were asking like hey is she like hitting anybody They would probably say that he was hitting her. Mm -hmm. At one time, Natasha interrupted and like tried to talk to her mom while she was talking to some friends at the table and she got punched right in the mouth. Holy shit. Like she was a grown ass woman or something like, oh my God. So it's very sad. John Price, a.k.a. Pricey, that's what a lot of people called him. He was very, he was a very like well-liked guy. She loved him. He was very like joking all the time, charming. Whatever you need, you can, you know, you got it, whatever. So he loved to party. And I think he met her either at like a hotel bar or like at a club. Mm-hmm. And that's when Car- Catherine started drinking, which surprisingly she was never like, I would picture a drunk woman beating the fuck out of a guy, but she was completely like sober every time she acted that way. It was never like stemming from alcoholic alcoholism or anything like that. Like I would assume her dad might have been mm-hmm. um, because he was an alcoholic. But no, so she started drinking around John Price and they would have a good time, whatever, at the very beginning um, until she would pull that shit like she did with her other partners that I didn't mention where she would stand over him while he was asleep with her damn knives. Like, oh, shit, everything's cool. You know, just keep in mind that I could kill you at any minute, you know, because I can. And that's how she would always play it off with all her guys. Like she had nothing to worry about. She was in charge. She had the power. They were afraid of her, essentially. Price was a little bit different because I feel like he gave her more pushback than some of the other men might have. He was, I think, like 44. He had already been married. He had three kids. His marriage ended in 1988, but he was still, like, kind of not over his wife. And he was the kind of guy to, like, save his house for his kids. So, like, just because this new woman is coming into his life, he's not, like, going to change everything. Right. So he had his two older kids with him, and his wife had the youngest. I think the youngest kid was, like, two or something. Mm -hmm. And he was aware of her violent past when she moved in in 1995. People had warned him about how she treated men, and he just, like, looked past it and, like, chose to give her a chance. He was making a bunch of money at the mines and his kids liked her so why worry he called her his speckled fucking hen isn't that cute um like speckled hen or he really called her speckled yeah, but he, would, hen. he would say that well you know some some australians like to have their language a little bit spicy. rougher okay yeah spicier so um, she took his money and got herself a ring because she wanted to be married. And she was very disappointed whenever he still wouldn't marry her. 
so dude this this kind of revenge is like next level listen to this she recorded on tape items which he had taken from his work and she sent it to his boss he was fired um after working there for 17 years and get this the stuff that he took he took out of the freaking trash because it was out of date medical kits like first aid kits Mm -hmm. and that's all he took and he got freaking fired Mm -mm. And it was 1998, so we are fast approaching um, the outcome of this whole thing. But can you believe that shit? Like he put all he he worked his way to the top to making six figures at the mines, and then she goes and just takes it away because he doesn't want to marry her. Yep, Petty. he knew that she was fucking crazy. He shouldn't that's what I'm trying let to her say. in there. I mean, is that uh, victim blaming? I don't want to say that's what they get, but it's like, damn. I don't know when people. Mm, I don't know people let their emotions sometimes, or I don't know what it would be. Pride, emotions, um, being hopeful that things might change. Uh, they were they were a dangerous couple because they really like really couldn't stay away from each other. That's what a lot of people said. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you brought that up because um, that that day he was fired and he kicked her out, and the town heard about what she had done, and then she went back to her home. And I almost feel like this is what should be the example of my ex is crazy when men specifically complain or they are cheating because, you know, they'll either say, oh, my ex is crazy and they either mean I'm still with her. So she's going to act like uh, possessive, obviously, and jealous and text you like, what are you doing with my man? Mm. Or they really are their exes and they're just still possessive over them. But men try to act like any little thing a woman does is crazy whenever there's shit like this that's actually fucking crazy. Yeah. Mm hmm. My God, standing over with a knife, like a knife? Are you kidding me? Anyways, what are you complaining about? Stop it. (laughs) And uh, they like to say like their ex-wife or their ex-girlfriend is crazy and and won't leave me alone and is trying to ruin my life. This is is that, like this is to that extent. So if she's not doing all this, count your blessings and also she's fine. Um, But I'm messing around, but I'm also kind of not messing around here. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, anyways, ladies, if you aren't doing this to your mans, step it up. Or, you know, remember you're fine and that you, you're doing nothing wrong. Oh, and ladies, leave your man at home because <laughs> 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 there's ballers in the club and their pockets are full grown. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> Honestly, see, she took his money and bought her own damn ring. Y'all do the same. He'll have to marry you then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Get your money don't, uh, don't, don't do that. <laughs> uh, here we go. So he had Catherine at arm's length when they got back together, though, like not allowing her to move back in, which is a red flag. Like if they were living with you before, whatever is stopping them from living with you now should probably mean you shouldn't be with them. Mm-hmm. In my opinion. So they fought more often and his friends would not hang around him Um as long as they were together, they did not approve at all. And at this point, I don't think anyone was feeling good about this relationship. His friends didn't like them being together. And so he had to hide things from them, which made it even weirder, like a weirder situation. Yeah. Definitely a red flag there. He was saving the house for his kids, and she didn't like that either. And one day he got a bouncy castle for an event at his house, and everyone was having a good time until she got hammered, and she accused his two daughters of molesting her children. What the fuck? Yeah. She got, like, messed up, and she was just saying a bunch of accusatory weird things. And one of the daughters picked up 
Catherine's plate and asked whose plate it was, knowing that it was hers. And when she said it was hers, the daughter said, if you don't leave, I'm going to break this over your head. And so Catherine left, but she was like still boiling on the inside. And they say he fell on her knife when she was gesturing while she was talking with it in hand. He says that that happened also, but I don't know if that was like a cover mm-hmm. or if she like actually was making it seem like she was doing that so that he could get stabbed on accident or whatever. And here's something interesting that that podcast mentioned that she had made a doll and put clothing made from his old suit on it. And even saved a little bit of his semen to smear on it. Excuse me? No idea what that's about. Should have looked into it more. I don't know if it was like a love spell or like a voodoo situation. Some hoodoo shit. I don't know if she pulled it out and would like smell it and be like, ah, yes. Ew. Ew. (laughs) She's a horny bitch. It's all fucking crusty and shit. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, no. (laughs) Awful. She yeah, uses I know. it to exfoliate. <laughs> Ooh. Yep. Yep. Um, so she started telling people around her, including her brother, that she was going to kill Pricey and his kids. Once February in the year 2000 came around, she was abusing Pricey to the point of stabbing. At least once his friends say that they saw a stab wound under on his chest um, and that this one was on purpose. He told her to leave, and she said she would leave if he gave her $10,000 or the house. What the fuck? He said hell no, and he went to the Justice of the Peace or whatever, or yeah, on February 29th, and tried to get a court order, but it would take three weeks to process, so he went home and waited for it, even though his friends warned him to not go home. What the fuck? Isn't that so sad? Like, he was doing what he could to, like, stay safe. But he said he didn't want to go into hiding and not go home because he was worried about his kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so he went home. And that same day, he told his coworkers that if he didn't come into work the next day, she had killed him. Holy shit. When he got home, nobody was there. Catherine had sent the kids to sleep at a friend's house. And then he went and hung out his, at his neighbor's house till like, 11 whenever he went to bed. Um, meanwhile, that day... Catherine had made a video with her grandkids on her knee while they fondled her breasts as she sang a version of a nursery rhyme. Um, I'm pretty sure it said something about Nana's tits or something in the nursery rhyme. It was very strange. And she was trying to make it seem like she was like silly and very like comfortable with them. Mm. And not being a very affectionate person, it was out of character for her to be so loving towards the kids. Um, So it was like an act. And she admitted to it that it felt very unnatural. Um, whenever she showed the, um, I guess, whoever was questioning her, the videotape. She left around 11 that night from her place, I guess, or her grandkids where they were at, and headed to Pricey's house. He was in bed when she arrived. She turned on Star Trek for a few and then began to prep for her evening. Earlier that day, she had bought some black lingerie from the thrift store. And damn, girl, I hope that she washed that shit. I hope that she... What... The thrift store? Jesus. I know, but I'm just hoping she washed it. I'm not, I don't know what exactly, what kind of lingerie, but (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, girl. Um, She jumped in the shower and then jumped into that lingerie and then jumped on Pricey's ween, (laughs) as we knew. And as he was returning from taking a piss, she reached up and remember she kept her knives on a hook over the bed. They were freshly sharpened from a few days before. She pulled out her boning knife and stabbed him right in the chest. But she had missed his heart, 
Apparently, the coroner says that it looked like she was attempting to kill him as she would an animal, but I guess the anatomy is slightly different. So she missed his heart uh, since he was a human and she had never killed a human before. He was trying to walk forward and past her, but she kept stabbing. He made it out of the room and reached for the light as he tried to make it through the hallway and she just kept stabbing him front, back, um, wherever. Um. He made it to the front door, opening it for a brief moment. Like he almost, he could almost make it out. And she just dragged him back in and flung him inside maliciously and then she just kept stabbing him. He hit the wall and then she stabbed him over and over and then that's when he hit the floor. She had stabbed him 37 times. Jesus. Then she took a shower, took his debit card, and withdrew $1,000. No one knows what happened to that money. I don't even think now they don't even know what happened to it or what she did with it. And now buckle your seatbelts, children, because the ride's not over. She returned to Pricey's. She stripped naked, set up her knives and whetstone in the living room, and then she took John's body into the living room as well. She skinned him with her six-inch carving knife and took her time using her skills to completely remove his skin like a suit. I'm talking ears, like his whole head, like it completely came off like a bodysuit. And she already had a hook hanging or a hook hung up for um, when she was through. It was between the living room and the kitchen. And so she just hung up the skin right after she was done. What the fuck? The most disturbing part was when someone looked in the window and they thought it was like a jacket hanging there. Oh, shit. She was able to remove all of his skin in one piece with his face still recognizable. That is fucking terrifying. I know. I know. Ed Gein, who? Um, <laughs> when people are like, women do it better. I'm just kidding. Um, oh, sorry. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Next, she cut through the bone and the muscle of his neck to behead the body. Oh, my God. She took his head and put it in a soup pot and added spices to the pot. No way, Abby. <laughs> she then oh my. cut his body up again. Um, she cut a large piece of rump and stuck it in the oven. Rump. It was her favorite cut. No she then made a, a side, I guess, of zucchini, potato, squash, cabbage, and then covered it in gravy. And she served two plates at the table with two pla- placards uh, written uh, on. And it was for her two guests, two spots at the table for his children. Um, oh, my God. I did she- not know this was her name. <laughs> Holy shit, I was yes, not I ready. I know this story, or I know I've heard of what happened at the end. I didn't know the whole thing. Good Lord. Well, it ain't over yet. So she made gravy, and it says that she made gravy special for the youngest, but I don't know what the hell that's supposed to mean. Maybe she put something in it or something. Oh, that sounds really bad. She then took what was left of Pricey and placed him on his favorite chair. She crossed his legs and propped his arm on a soda. What? Like a like a soda bottle, like a big one, like a liter. Mm-hmm. So that it looked like you were just posing, just relaxed there, without a head and without any skin. Oh. She then brewed a pot of coffee and took some pills um, in a weak attempt at suicide, allegedly. They say she allegedly tried to commit suicide, but because she didn't, like, do – like, it didn't seem like she committed to it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't – 
forgive the phrasing. She didn't commit to committing suicide. This is horrible. I hate this part because it sucks because apparently she had done this before as almost like an attention kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But suicide is not something to take lightly. So I hate whenever they were like, allegedly she tried to. Because um, maybe she just didn't know how to. I don't know. What did she expect was going to happen after this? So at 6 a.m., the neighbor had noticed the car in the driveway. And when he didn't show up for work, when Pricey didn't show up for work, his boss sent an employee to check on him. The neighbor and the employee knocked on his bedroom window to wake him up, but they noticed blood on the front door. The police were called and arrived at 8 a.m. They broke down the back door and they found his body and Catherine was comatose in bed from taking a bunch of pills. Oh, shit. There's a huge thing on like how they discovered everything and it was very jarring and um, scary. They didn't, they couldn't tell that he, that. But I thought that she fed them, fed him to her, to the kids, to his kids. She didn't get to, I think she was, I don't know if it was off her show. Like she set it all up like she was going Mm -hmm. to, or if she was going to wait for them to come back. Like the whole her taking um, medication and like falling asleep thing is what's throwing off what her intentions were. As far as she, as like, as far as she told people, like she would tell them she has no idea. Like she doesn't recall what happened. She like blacked out and then did all that stuff. And so that's what she maintains is that she doesn't remember anything from that night um, Mm. and that morning or whatever. But with how long she took and how much focus and skill it took, they said that she for sure knew what she was doing and that it was very planned. It was a very much planned thing. Mm -hmm. So the following account is the complete report by crime scene investigator, detective senior constable Peter Anthony Muschio who was the first officer into the premises after the initial discovery of John Price's body. In cases such as this, it is the detective's job to piece together the macabre facts firsthand from the evidence at the murder scene before anyone else touches a thing. About 10 a.m. Wednesday, the 1st of March, 2000, in company with Detective Sergeant Neil Raymond, I attended the premises at 84 St. Andrew Street, Aberdeen, in relation to an alleged homicide. There, I spoke to a number of police, including duty officer Graham Furlonger, Detective Sergeant Bob Wells, and Senior Constable Michael Prentice. The premises is a single-story, three-bedroom dwelling which faces generally south into St. Andrew Street. Yada yada, here we go. I entered to conduct a cursatory uh, exam with Sergeant Raymond. I walked in through the rear door and into the kitchen. Once inside the kitchen, I saw from the top something of the doorway leading into the lounge room this piece of skin extended from the top of the doorway right into the door and appeared to be an entire human skin oh my god looking through the doorway into the lounge room i could see a headless and skinless human body i walked east along the hallway and looked into the entry foyer and saw an extreme amount of blood pooled on the floor there was also a large amount of blood smeared over the eastern wall of the entry Walking further east along the hallway, um, there was some blood staining leading from the main bedroom. In the bedroom, more blood, uh, however, in moderate amounts. I then left the scene and had a discussion with Sergeant Raymond and the other investigating police outside the scene. I then re-entered the premises and made a more detailed examination. The rear door of the premises opens into the laundry. Off the western side of this is the kitchen, dining room, and the laundry contained a stainless steel tub in the northeast corner and a washing machine further south along the eastern wall. There was a built-in cupboard and two separate separate wooden doors in the southern wall of the laundry. 
On the western wall of the laundry was a cavity sliding door that gave access to the dining room and the kitchen. The room was divided into two sections with the kitchen being the western end and the dining room being the eastern end. The dining room contained a wood and steel dining room table, blah 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 Clothing draped over the back of the chairs. Okay, so here it comes. She, okay, he said, I noticed blood staining to the shoulder area of a blue shirt, which was draped over the chair on the western side of the table. The medication on the table consisted of three boxes of Philodur ER 5MG, of which two were empty. This medication normally contains two strips of each containing 15 tablets. However, there were there was only one full strip containing 15. And then there was an empty box of Prinival, Prinival? 20 tablets, and an empty box of DAPA tabs, which was also on the table. And the medication, this medication when full contains 90 tablets. And the fourth chair of this, oh, so she took a lot. Yeah. What is this? Is this all sleeping medication or is this, I'm going to have to Google these individual medications. Yeah, I've never heard of those. DAPA tabs. I'm going to just look up what DAPA tabs are because they're easiest. They are for hypertension. What the fuck? High blood pressure? I guess. Let's see. So... Dapatab is used either alone or in combination with other medicines to treat high blood pressure. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the active ingredient, which is thought to work by relaxing some of the blood vessels in the blood, causing blood pressure to fall. Oh, so okay. in combination with those other ones, I don't know what she was expecting to happen. Prinival. I'm going to look up what Prinival is because I have no – I should have did that. I don't know. I mean, I guess if your blood pressure goes low enough, you could die. Yeah. If it's, like, too relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um high blood pressure again so she just combined a bunch of blood pressure medication so that's how she fell into a coma because she was that relaxed okay um and she took like a week to wake up out of it and then she said she didn't remember what happened so here we go god damn right i know um okay so Ooh, okay. As I mentioned earlier, I saw what appeared to be a complete human skin or pelt hanging from the top of the door separating the dining room and the lounge room. On closer exam, I could distinguish black curly hair at the top, a nose, and a part of a mouth and ear. About halfway down the pelt, I could see a clump of short black curly hair consistent with pubic hair. Mm. I could not recognize any other particular features as it continued to the floor. Uh, The edges of the pelt were incised, indicating to me that it had been removed with a sharp instrument. There were also a number of distinct stab wound wounds on the pelt. Oh, I did, I forgot about that. I mm-hmm. would think it would be ripped up all up and down the center and not have stayed in one piece. Yeah, it must have been hard to get it off of the parts where she where she like stuck his own body inside of himself by yeah. gouging. Dear God. Okay, so the pelt was attached to the blah 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 by a stainless meat hook. It was pierced through the top of the head area of the pelt and then hooked over the... How could you do that to anyone? Like, regardless, like, whether you loved the person or not, like, oh, my gosh, this mm-hmm. is completely... Like, an animal. Like, I I don't even know what to say. This is just horrible. I noticed the blood trail leading from the lounge room into the kitchen towards the kitchen hook top in the vicinity of the aluminum boiler. The boiler was on the right side near the element, which was at the time was turned off. Okay. I lifted the lid to the boiler and I noticed it was warm to touch. The pot was full of liquid, and on the surface, I could identify a skinned human head and a number of cooked vegetables. Mm-mm. That's what I wanted to know. Like, whenever they opened it, and they were like, oh, no. That is terrible. And so now, 
it goes into like what the motive was and then it breaks down what she would have used. Like it took a lot of time to really, I mean, sure she was messy in terms of like leaving everything out and there was blood everywhere. She didn't try to clean anything up. Um, and they had saw blood on the front door, so she didn't even clean that up. But wow, she took a lot of time for, I guess, what mattered. Yeah, to her. she really did. Um, on the seat of the single lounge chair in the northeast corner of the room was a black hand handled honing steel, which was like a sharpening stone, and an open packet of Winfield Blue cigarettes. I noticed a bloodied bloodied handprints on the back arms of the chair and on the northern wall. Blah, 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 was a small cabinet. Lying on this cabinet was a broken picture frame containing a picture of the deceased. Lying on top of the picture frame was a bloodstained watch. And to the west of the photograph, still on top of the cabinet, was a bloodstained handwritten note together with another broken picture on top of it. Apart from being bloodstained, it had small pieces of flesh on it. Mm. The That's like when you're cooking and you don't wash your hands while you're like touching. Stop it. Stop it. Isn't that so messed up? Anyway. <clears throat> The note was poorly written and contained very basic spelling mistakes, and it read, Time got you back, Jonathan, for wrapping my daughter. You to Beck for Ross for Little John. Now play with Little John's dick, John Price. Wow, horrible. What the fuck? Um, so she tried, to t- she tried to say that she killed him, which is so weird. She just, it was very, like, a weird setup that she tried to do here because apparently it looked like she was trying to get back at him for maybe molesting her kids or raping her daughter or something Mm -hmm. which that's really messed up too she already did all this to him and now she's gonna try to like do that to his name too it's fucked up so with the trial she initially was gonna plead guilty to manslaughter but it was rejected and she was re- was arraigned on February 2nd, 2001 on the charge of murdering Price to which she entered a plea of not guilty. Uh, like I said, she tried to maintain that she didn't know what she was doing and that she was insane. She blacked out and she just like killed him and did all that stuff. Her trial was initially fixed for the 23rd of July in 2001, but was adjourned, adjourned due to her counselor's, her counsel's illness. And it was refixed for October 15th, 2001. What the fuck? So when the trial commenced, Justice Barry O'Keefe offered the 60 jury prospects the option of being excused due to the nature of the photographic evidence, um, but the five accepted. And the witness list was read out to the prospects. Several more also dropped out, after which the jury was impaneled. Knight's um, attorneys then spoke to the judge who adjourned to the following day. The next morning, Knight changed her plea to guilty, and the jury was dismissed. It was now made public that Justice O'Keefe had been advised of the plea change the day before. He had adjourned the trial and then ordered a psychiatric assessment overnight to determine if Knight understood the consequences of a guilty plea and was fit to make such a plea. Knight's legal team had planned to defend Knight by claiming amnesia and dissociation, a claim supported by most psychiatrists, although they did consider her sane. No reason has ever been given for the guilty plea, and despite giving it, Knight still refused to accept responsibility for her actions. Um, At the sentencing hearing, Knight's lawyers requested that Knight be excused to avoid hearing some of the facts, but the application was refused. When Dr. Timothy Lyons took the stand and described the skinning and decapitation, Knight became hysterical and had to be sedated. Okay, so whenever they do that kind of stuff, do do you buy it, or do you think she's, like, just playing a part? Like reacting to what she did. 
Um, I don't think she specifically was acting because, I mean, it, it clearly it takes it takes a lot to or i mean she doesn't like to really like show affection or anything like that or you know actual oh, feelings yeah actual emotions so maybe she realized like what she had done whenever she saw the pictures yeah and saw the description of what she did i don't know i don't know cuz when she was just like running on adrenaline well, she was just also she would play the victim so her being hysterical like is another yeah i mean she already pleaded you know pled guilty so you might be right this might have been an honest reaction to what she did yeah. just kind of letting it sink in and realizing the extent of what happened yeah um, or like people are gonna finally know what kind of person she really is well, that she's too, just because hysterical so she that's what i think it's not really based on what she did it's so much of how people will see her now True. Good point. If she's like a narcissist or like kind of like a so like a, I don't want to. Say, I guess like a sociopath. She might have been a sociopath, but at the same time, she never really turned on the charm for specific. Oh, I guess people. you're right. Yeah, she was. A lot of people knew she was kind of like a brutish woman mm-hmm. that you don't want to cross. Um, but at the same time, I get what you mean about the reputation because now she's she pled guilty. And this is the first time she's getting in trouble for do- – can you believe that this is the extent she went to and this is the first time she's getting in trouble for her actions? Mm-hmm. That's what's sad about that. Okay. So on November 8th, Justice O'Keefe pointed out that the nature of the crime and Knight's lack of remorse required a severe penalty. He sentenced her to life imprisonment, refused to fix a non-parole period, and ordered that her papers be marked never to be released. The first time that this had been imposed on a woman in Australian history. Wow. Um, I know. What an honor for her, right? Um, In June 2006, Knight appealed the life sentence, claiming that a penalty of life in jail without possibility of parole was too severe for the killing. Justices Peter McClellan and Michael Adams and Megan Latham dismissed the appeal in the NSW Court of Criminal Appeal in September with Justice McClellan writing in his judgment, This was an appalling crime, almost beyond contemplation in a civilized society. She apparently is the least violent now that she, or ever since she went to prison, she's been the least violent she's ever been. Her reputation made her untouchable, and so she just automatically became a prison boss in there. Oh, my God. She's called, uh, I think they call her Nana, or like prison Nana or something. (laughs) She makes headphones in the little factory, and she just finds ways to solve issues between inmates. She has her own cell because they're worried about her hurting other people. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's never been so happy in her whole life, she says. And she um, is an event planner for the prison also. Her family, though, hasn't – they completely just abandoned her after she went in. They just let her deal with her own fate. And she hasn't had a single visitor in all the years that she's been there up until 2018. I don't know about after that. But uh, she's been in there for, I think, like 19 or 20 years now. Jeez. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm sure a lot of people will be thankful for their partners after reading that one. <laughs> I I honestly thought she really did feed uh, his kids him. Oh my gosh, whatever. could you imagine? I really thought that. Like, I could have sworn I heard that. Some, I don't I like, like it, Mandela did. effect. Maybe somebody, oh, or maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe it was someone else. Because I also, there's a few cannibal cases that people don't really know the whole thing story mm-hmm. about 
But uh, I don't think... Okay, and then there was also... I didn't mention this. There was a piece of flesh thrown out in the yard. And they're thinking why... Or, you know, there's no dog... I don't think there was a dog that she was trying to feed or anything. And what they think happened was that she tasted it. And then she just threw it outside. Because she was like, I can't eat this. Oh, yeah. She's like fucking disgusting. <laughs> uh, not seasoned enough or something. <laughs> but yeah, that was the story of Catherine Knight of Australia. That was a wild ass ride. I didn't know all of that extra shit. Wow. Dude, there's apparently more stories of her with, because, you know, the, the uh, this is horrible, but the guys that got away that were able to escape mm-hmm. her clutches or this awful fate happened to them too. They have stories too of, of what she oh, did I'm while sure. they were together and stuff. Yeah. So there's a ton of other things, but I just didn't want to make this too, too long. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she is something else and has gone down in history for what she's done. And a lot of people want to compare like um, if it is that she hates men. I don't know if, if it necessarily is that she hates men or she just wants the control over men. Yeah, I feel like. Yeah. Um, especially after seeing her mom go through what she did and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with Aileen Warnos, she had um, a bunch of reasons to, I don't want to say, I don't want to give her any kind of excuse or anything, but she really didn't have the same opportunities that Catherine did. Like nobody went and got her help. Yeah. Nobody, you know, called the police whenever mm-hmm. she was in trouble. Yeah, you're and right. So, Aileen Warnos' story is really fucking sad. It's very sad. Um, I I just think that she might have had a chance. It has to do because people always break down with serial kill- killers. They're like, do are they born this way? Did they become this way? Did somebody make them this way? But mm-hmm. it's like they at the end of the day they have their free will. They have their choices. Mm-hmm. She had children. Like Catherine had children that she could have you know tried to turn her life around for yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But. People are just like psychopaths, and that's the path they, they take. Yeah, it's sad, but it's super intense and um, a lot to discuss and break down when you talk about it with people. Yeah, that is a lot. This is the kind of case that you only talk about with like friends you've met on more than one occasion. Because if you bring this up the first time you meet somebody, they're going to think you're weird as fuck. Yeah, I'm pretty sure anytime you just meet someone and you're like, hey, I know this, this really fucked up story <laughs> and I want right? to hear it. Yeah, no. Hey, but that's how um, that's how Karen and Georgia became friends at a party. Oh, you're right. Okay, well, uh, there's <laughs> there's several. No, I I do that as like an experiment at a party and like talk really loud, yeah. and then nobody comes around me, and I'm like, well, yeah, I guess that is actually a really good idea. It's like throwing bait. Yeah, and in that case, if they don't want to be around you, then good. Leave me alone. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now I know, not you. Next, bring the next one in. <laughs> Exactly. And then they try to slide Hunter a, a note that's like, this is in case you need anything. <laughs> <laughs> Check here uh, if you need help. <laughs> blink twice. I know. Seriously. Uh, funny. Um, but anyways, yeah, that was that. That was nuts. I wonder how her kids feel about it. They're older now. Well, if no one went to visit her, I'm sure she's like, uh, or I'm sure they are like, fuck that lady. That's rough. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Imagine that being your mom. Like, oh, my mom's in prison for 
It would have been really bad. I already, I would have made it about myself. So (laughs) (laughs) I carry so much. Yeah, my person, my yeah, my personality disorder (laughs) would definitely kick in. Uh, Anyway, it already does. Right? Oh my gosh! It, it's it like jumps out, and you're like, "Hey, hey, calm down." Yep, just bring it on back, reel it in, just a tad. <laughs> so, guys, we hope you enjoyed that super messed up episode. Definitely gonna put a graphic uh, warning. I know I tried to act really nonchalant during that whole thing, but there is, I guess, not really a right way to give the information that I gave today, if that makes any sense, or that's just an excuse, and I have twisted humor. In any case, um, somehow enjoyed giving you guys the story of Catherine Knight, and hopefully that doesn't make me a an enemy. Anyways, so guys, we'll be back next week with Daniela's um, stuff, and I cannot wait to hear it. So with that being said, give us a follow on Instagram and on Twitter. Send us some DMs if you have any listener stories that you'd like to submit. And yeah, keep listening. Tell your friends. Thanks a lot, guys. So, did we give you the creeps? <laughs>